0: Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. Let's turn over to the book of Colossians. I want to share a series with you this weekend from Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I tell you, Colossians is a powerful, powerful book. I don't know that I've ever really taught from Uh, whole series from Colossians, but I'm going to do it this weekend. I was studying this just uh, this last week, and and there were some major things that spoke to me through this book. One of them, let me just give a little bit of an introduction to this, that the people in Colossae, uh, Paul had never met them personally. Now you can see that in a number of verses, but here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, The Apostle Paul said, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love which you have to all of the saints. In other words, these weren't people that he ministered to directly, but he had heard about their acceptance of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So this makes it very clear that the apostle Paul had never met these people. These weren't people that he ministered to. But most people suspect based on uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 7. It says, as he also learned of Epirus, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And then also in... Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 over here, it mentions uh, Epirus and it says, Who is one of you, a servant of Christ? So most people believe that what happened, Colossae was uh, not too far from Ephesus and Paul spent three and a half years in Ephesus. And it says, so that from uh, Ephesus was sounded out the gospel throughout all of Asia. And so most people believe that Epirus was a person... ...who got born again through Paul's ministry and then he was from Colossae what it says over there in chapter 4 verse 12 and he took the gospel back. And so these in a sense were the grandkids of the Apostle Paul. They weren't his direct disciples but they were disciples of one of his disciples. And so in chapter two, I want to just focus on these verses for a few moments. Paul is writing unto them and he he said here in chapter two, verse one, I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them in Laodicea and and, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul was really concerned about these people because he didn't minister to them directly. And I don't think that this is a criticism of Epirus at all, but it's just, you know, it's like, uh, have you ever played one of those games? I forgot what they call it, gossip or something like that, where you tell the person next to you something and you have them pass it down the row. And I can guarantee you, if you've got 12 people involved, it's not going to be the same message by the time it gets to the end of that row. Somebody will leave out a word, insert a word. Things just change. Every generation that you get away From the person who received that revelation, there is an opportunity for something to be left out, something to be added in, and something to be not right. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And you know, as he was sharing these things, as I was reading this, this is really what my heart is and what I believe that God has spoken to me, that I believe that today the gospel has been changed from what it was originally delivered. Over in the book of um, uh, Jude, I believe it is, it says we have to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And you know, this was only written like 20 years or 30 years, something like that, after the resurrection of Jesus. So in a very short period of time, the gospel had already started to be changed. People had come in and started adding things to it. Some of the notable ones that are obvious in scripture, like in the book of Galatians and other places, there were people called Judaizers who came in and said, oh yeah, you've got to believe on Jesus as being the Messiah, but you've also got to be a Jew and you've got to keep all the feast days. The males have to be circumcised. You have to do all of these rituals and they tried to add to the gospel. And that's the reason that the apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians And he came out real strong and he says, if anybody, even an angel preaches unto you another gospel than what you've preached, let him be accursed. Such a strong statement that I'm sure it just shocked people and they thought he couldn't have meant what he said. So in the next verse, he says, again, I say unto you, if any man (laughs) preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And so they were having to fight and contend for the gospel within just a few years after it, it, it began to spread. And I think that here we are 2,000 years later. And brothers and sisters, what most people know of the gospel today is not the same as what the Apostle Paul shared. It's not what the Word of God teaches. We have so many traditions and doctrines of men that make the Word of God of no effect Mark chapter seven, verse 13, Jesus said that. He says, your traditions and doctrines of man make the word of God of none effect. And I tell you, we, the church is just rampant with this today. And so as I was reading this, the apostle Paul, I felt his conflict and his desire that he had for people to know the pure gospel, the true gospel, and without all of these other things added to it. And that's the reason that he wrote this book, is to clarify some things and make sure that people had the basics down. And so this is what I want to do this weekend is just to take the things he wrote right here in this book of Colossians to these people. He was wanting to make sure that they had the right message, that they hadn't perverted it and hadn't moved away from it. And as I was studying this, I tell you, there are so many things in the book of Colossians that are contrary to the way we think today. Hence, that's the reason we don't get the same results. That these people got. If you want to experience God, you are going to have to change your thinking. The Bible says in many places, one of them is Romans chapter 12 verse 2 It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way we experience God is how we think. Now that's a that's a radical thought to some people because they just they pray they call out to God out of desperation they think that if they are desperate enough if their if their situation is pitiful enough that that will move God but it's not true you are going to experience God the way that you renew your mind and the way you think about Him when I was told that God didn't heal I never got healed because that was contrary to my thinking. When I was told that God's want to kill people and put problems on people, I saw people around me die who embraced problems and stuff. You will experience God the way you think. That's not to say that God is the way you think, but God is limited to what he can do in your life according to the way you think. Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think wrong, you're going to get wrong results. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses, uh, verse well, verse 3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything that you need is going to come through the knowledge of that you have, or the knowledge that you don't have will limit what God can do in your life. Boy, those are important statements, and there's a lot of people that don't understand this. They just think that if, if God's really a God, why doesn't He move? He moves in your life according to the way you think and believe. Everything that you need comes through the knowledge that you have. I talked to a woman down here tonight, and she was just real sincere, saying that she had some problems. She wasn't going to tell me what they were. She didn't want to confess something negative, I guess. So anyway, I prayed with her and basically just spoke to her. I said, you know, you can't give away what you don't have. And if you don't really understand God's love for you, then you can't turn around and give it to other people. If you haven't renewed your mind and understood how much he loves you, it's going to limit you loving other people. And it doesn't matter how much you pray for it. You can pray and say, oh, God, make me a loving person. But if you don't understand the new covenant, if you are still trying to relate to God by the old covenant under a performance-based mentality, and if you think relationship is all about performance, then you are going to wind up treating other people the way you think. You are going to have to have your mind renewed to understand God's unconditional love for you. And until you receive it for yourself, you can't give it to other people. Boy, those are big, big statements. So here's the Apostle Paul saying, man, I have great conflict for you because you haven't seen me. I didn't minister to you personally. And so I'm going to say some things just to make sure you got the basics. And look at what he says right here in verse 2. This is Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now I'm going to come back to this second verse, but let's just read a few verses here in context. In verse 3, talking about in Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. The apostle Paul here is recognizing that how does Satan come against us? You know, again, there's so many things right here. I could, uh, I've meditated on this stuff a lot and it's hard to put it all out in a proper order. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. But um, most people believe that Satan just attacks them, overpowers them, that they don't have any control over it. I have people come to me and tell me how sick they are, how poor they are, how messed up their life is, and they act like I don't have any control. I don't have any responsibility in this area whatsoever that you know they, the devil just picked on them. But I'm telling you Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. The way he comes against you is through thoughts. The way he came against Adam and Eve was through thoughts. He didn't take some elephant, some mammoth and put their, his, you know, their foot on Eve's head and say, eat of the fruit or I'll squash it. He didn't come with a tiger or a lion. He took an animal that the scripture says was the most subtle of all of the beasts. And the way that he came against them is, has God really said and begin to question the word of God. You cannot do anything without, first of all, going there in your mind. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) And again... See, I'm countering a lot of what we think today. People, I don't have anything to do with this. You know, I think one of the reasons that it took 960 years for Adam to die was because he didn't know how to die. He didn't think death. They didn't give balloons when he turned 30, black balloons saying, you're over the hill and you're about to die. He didn't know that there was a flu season every year. He didn't know that when you were so old, you're supposed to start getting older and decrepit, and he didn't know how to die. I know some of you think, oh man, you're kind of a little out there on this. I really believe that one of the reasons there is so much sickness is because sickness is talked about, promoted so much. If you watch any television at all, and I try not to watch a lot of it, but just a little bit I watch, I mean, it's not unusual to hear 15, 20 ads in one program about sickness and about this and all of this stuff. And they just plant seeds in you about sickness all of the time. And you're supposed to expect this. They, these ads will say, check with your doctor. And I think, check with my doctor. I don't have a doctor. Who in the world has a doctor? Probably a lot of people sitting right in here. What in the world do you need a doctor for? Anyway. Well, some people are so concerned about health care. We've got to have all this health care. You ought to leave health care for people that don't know Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm not against doctors. I'm just saying they're overworked as it is. Let the unbelievers go to them. Amen. You should be walking in the supernatural health of God. And some of you think, well, man, you're weird. That's the reason that you're sick because you think that sickness is just normal and that you're supposed to have all of these problems. God did not create us to be as frail as what we see people today. You have to be taught to be sick. I know many of you think that's not true, but it is. It is. It says, beware lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. You know the word enticing words right here. Paul said, keep your finger here in Colossians, but look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the apostle Paul was talking about how he came and ministered to these people in Corinth. And he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice he said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. Put that together with Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. What does enticing words mean? I could spend a lot of time on this, but basically the word enticing here is made up of a compound word. One of them is logos, which is word, and the other one is talking about persuasive words. And I looked it up in Vines' dictionary, and Vines, W.E. Vines, said that this word is specifically talking about just persuasion as contrasted to demonstration. And if you put this together with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, my preaching wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he he started making a point out of this. He was talking to people who were criticizing him and his authority. And over in chapter 4, I believe it's verse twenty, First Corinthians 4.20, he says something. When I come, I'm not going to know the speech of those who are puffed up. That's an old English way for saying operating in pride. But I'm going to know the power because the kingdom of God is not in word but in power and demonstration of the spirit. Basically, what he was saying was, those who want to counter me and sit there and disagree with my doctrine, they're using all of these arguments and persuasive words, but they don't have any demonstration. They don't have any power operating in their life. So he basically says, when I come, if a person doesn't have any power in their life, you can't talk. Only those who can demonstrate and back up what they're saying with the power of God have a right to speak. Man, that's strong. You know, if we were to use that today, there's not very many ministers that'd be able to speak. There's lots of people that can talk and they have education and they can put sentences together and they're dramatic in the way they present, but show me some power. The Bible says that the Lord confirmed the word with signs and wonders following. If you don't have the power of God operating in your life, then it's because you aren't speaking the word. You might speak enticing words of man's wisdom. You might be, uh, you know, seminary educated. But that doesn't mean that you're right. Who's got the power of God operating in their lives? And man, today in our church, we have, I'm talking about the church as in general, there's some great churches. You know, we've got some pastors here that I know. I'm sure there's great churches here in this area, but I'm saying that as a whole, the church has gotten to where they have all kinds of doctrines, but they can't demonstrate the power of God. Jesus, when He was challenged on His authority, He says, if you don't believe Me because of what I say, then believe the works that I do. The works that I do testify of who I am. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, that Jesus was a man approved by God through signs and wonders and mighty miracles that he did. If Jesus had to be approved, if Jesus had to have a stamp of approval on him, then who in the world do we think we are that our words are more persuasive than Jesus, that we can somehow or another make an impact without demonstrating the power of God? We need to be demonstrated. We got big churches right here in this city, I'm sure, that have tens of thousands of people coming, but there's people that they don't see any healing. They don't see the power of God manifest. Lives aren't changed. They're just preaching. They have these programs that attract people and they have all of these things, but where are the results? And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, the reason I'm writing unto you is so that nobody will beguile you with enticing words, just persuasive speech. But he goes on and talks about how that there has to be the evidence of it. Where are the changed lives? Where is the power of God in people's lives? And I'm telling you, most of, of Christianity today is powerless. It doesn't change a person's life. It won't get you prosperous. It won't set you free. Most Christians are on just as much medication, go to the same psych, the same, the same shrink that all of the unbelievers go to. When problems happen, Christians are just as afraid as the unbelievers. It's not supposed to be this way. There's not a tremendous amount of demonstration. And you know why? Because we've moved away from these very basic things that Paul is talking about right here. And so we need to analyze some things. We need to do an inventory here and find out what it was that Paul was trying to get across to these people because he was afraid that they would be beguiled, deceived by these enticing words. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is where the body of Christ as a whole sits today. Now again, praise God. I think that there's a tremendous move of God. People are receiving the truth. I had probably a dozen people tonight tell me about that their life has just been radically changed. I had one man tell me about he's been a Christian for over 30 years, but it's only been in the last year or two that the Word of God has come alive. And now he goes back to his church and tells them what the Word says, and he's being criticized for it and persecuted. I tell you, if you want to get in trouble in church, start standing up for the Word of God, and they'll kick you out. So let's go back to verse 2 and look at some of these things. He says in verse 2, he says... He's praying that their hearts might be comforted. So let me ask you this. The things that he's going to list and talk about right here, the end result of it is that your heart is comforted. So let me just I'm not asking you to raise your hand on this, but I want you in your own heart just to say, is your heart comforted? You know, when you look at things that are going on in this world, and you hear about all of the terrible things. They were talking today about, I think, 500-something people killed in, in Cairo yesterday and all of the problems in the world that are going on. Man, are you upset? Are you disturbed? Are you comforted? And you know what? There's a lot of Christians that think, well, you should be disturbed. No, you shouldn't. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him and it didn't put any qualifications on it except during a time of recession, except when there's an epidemic, except when there is turmoil and maybe fighting going on and things like this. You know, the apostle Paul who wrote all of these things, like in Philippians, he wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He wrote that from prison. He was facing possible execution and yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. There isn't any reason for us not to be comforted. Now I'm not saying that everything is good and I'm not saying you just stick your head in the sand and ignore that people have problems. That's not what I'm talking about, but it doesn't matter what the world does. Our relationship with God is secure. Everything that is physical is just temporary We need to look on the things that can't be seen. We need to look at the eternal things and recognize that if, you know, uh, David said it this way. He says, though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Well, that hadn't happened yet. And until the mountains are removed and cast into the sea, you ought to still be rejoicing in the Lord. There isn't any... Excuse. Now, there are reasons why we get disturbed and not comforted. It's because we don't know these things. But if we were really focused on the things that the Apostle Paul is talking about right here, did you know what? You should be comforted even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of all kinds of things going on. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, you still ought to be comforted. You shouldn't lose your peace. Thank you for that one amen and a couple ahead. Most people, well, that's not so, that's terrible. Well, we sing these songs when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going there and you cry. What's wrong with this? I'm I'm not saying that we should just accept sickness and stuff, but I am saying that you should be comforted if you understand these things. He says, I'm going to say these things that your hearts might be comforted. You can be in absolute peace regardless of what's going on in your life. You know, I just had some people come and interview me last Friday for a book that they're writing about Vietnam. And it turns out it's the unit that I was in in Vietnam. And this, anyway, it was really a neat experience because this guy was showing me his book. He had 470 pictures and and I was thumbing through it and I, and I said, I know that guy, I've seen him. And he came over and looked at it and he says, that's me. <laughs> but it was 43 years later and back, you know, when he was a kid, he had hair. Now he was absolutely bald and had a beard down to his waist and I just didn't recognize. And anyway, it was really amazing to see a guy that I hadn't seen. And Uh, I actually started showing them my pictures of Vietnam and I had a picture of this guy sitting on my cot in my bunker and I'd always wondered what his name was and he was sitting across the table. So anyway, but they were asking me about how did Vietnam affect you? And I said, look, I'm not a very good example of all of this. They've done 600 interviews, 600 interviews. And uh, they were asking me about how did it affect you and how did you feel? And I said, guys, I was just so in love with the Lord. My mind was so stayed on God. All I did was study the word 12 to 15 hours a day. I said, I'm not a real good example. And (laughs) they started asking me questions and I told them about times that, man, we were all about to die within hours. The place where I was was overrun and nearly every person killed. The chaplain and I got out just right before it happened. And I said, man, all I was thinking about is, oh, Jesus, I can see you today. I could be with you before the sun sets. And then I was praying for the Vietnamese that I had my gun pointed at. Because I knew if I died, I knew where I'd go, but I wasn't sure about them. And I felt love and compassion going out of me for the people I was shooting at. And they were just shocked and they were looking at me and I said, honestly, I, and they said, do you remember that? I said, I don't remember anything but Jesus. I was just focused on the Lord. Anyway, the reason I tell you that story is to say that I was in the midst of a war zone. I went through terrible things, not only the war, but all of the sin and the temptation and all of the things that were going on. And it was just like I was in a bubble. I was oblivious to it. My heart was comforted. And I went through things, I went through things that in the natural, I should have been, I should have had all kinds of problems, but I've never had any uh, trauma, PTSD. I didn't have any of this stuff because I was just enveloped in God. This is what Paul is talking about. If you understand the things he's talking about, your heart should be comforted. And there's some of you that in your mind are sitting there disqualifying yourself and saying, but you don't know my situation. Well, I'm saying you don't know what Paul's talking about because you can be so far into God that nothing can reach you. You can be so enveloped in God that you're comforted. And I don't care if you're facing death, if you're facing divorce, if you're facing financial failure, if you're facing whatever, if the world is going one way, the apostle Paul lived in a situation much worse than what you and I live in. He lived in a situation where Caesar proclaimed himself as God, where slavery was the rule of the day where people were taken and beaten and terrible things going on. And yet Paul prospered and turned the world right side up. As bad as things are, it could be worse. We ought to be praising God. Things are as good as they are and we can be comforted regardless of what's happening. And I know there are some of you thinking, oh man, you're just way out there. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living my life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So he says, I pray that your hearts would be comforted, being knit together in love. That's the, man, I can preach on every one of these phrases. I'm not going to do it. But this is the only way we will ever come together is in love. It's not going to be through all of these other things. We aren't all going to be the same. God doesn't want us to be all the same. But we can get to where we walk in love with each other. That's the only way that we'll ever be knit together. In love, and it says, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. This mystery is spoken about four times here in Colossians, and it's explained in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages. "...and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints." The word manifest means to make evident to your physical senses. In other words, this is not supposed to be a mystery anymore. This is something that is now revealed in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, nobody understood this. It was a mystery. It was hidden. But now it should be obvious, and the sad fact is, this still is not obvious to the average Christian... And in verse 27, it says to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what he's talking about here, the thing he's trying to do so that nobody can beguile us with enticing words and move us away from these foundational things. He's praying that we would get the acknowledgement of of the mystery which is Christ in us the hope of glory but he didn't want us just to acknowledge it he wanted us to get the understanding and then the riches of the full understanding and acknowledgement of the mystery you know there's five different levels here that he's talking about and It's one thing to say that you believe that Christ lives on the inside of you, but did you know on a practical basis most people don't believe this? That usually goes over about like that. (laughs) Some people, oh, I believe it. But notice that it says you've got to have the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of Christ, which is God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I tell you, if we could get this knowledge that Christ himself lives on the inside of us, that you are God possessed, not just when You know, the anointing comes on you and you feel a goose bump up and down your spine. But at your very worst moment, you are God-possessed. Christ lives on the inside of you. If you could live with the riches of the full assurance to the understanding and the acknowledgement of this mystery, then I can guarantee you it would keep you from being deceived. It would keep you from being led astray. It would keep you from having all of these problems that so many of us deal with. And again, I'm not the greatest example. I'm not a perfect example, but I have lived this to a degree that even going through war, I was just so focused on God. And if they were going to kill me, wonderful. Man, I get to go be with Jesus. I went through hardship and being separated from everything I loved and wanted for 13 months in Vietnam. And I just had an awesome time in the presence of God. I have lived it enough to know that this is absolutely true. That when you are focused on Christ in you, it just makes you um, immune to all of the stuff that the devil's got. You can be so focused on God Almighty living on the inside of you that it just inoculates you against all of the junk of this world. Man, that's an awesome statement. And I believe that there's very few believers that have the riches of the full assurance and understanding and acknowledging this mystery which is Christ in us. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. You know, there's times that you don't feel that way. But it's, your feelings are wrong. This is what the scripture says, is that Christ is in you. If you have been born again, then Jesus said in John chapter 14, there's so many places I had not got time to turn to them all, but he says, if a man loves me, I will come unto him and make my abode with him. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's times that you don't feel the presence of God, but that has nothing to do with nothing. You can't feel all of these things. You know, here's another experience that I had in Vietnam, and that is that I didn't understand all of these things. Now, I was wrapped in the presence of God, but I was just wanting, uh, this emotional thing. I'd had this tremendous experience where I was caught up in the presence of God and I was wanting this feeling of his presence. And I was just begging and pleading with God. And, um, I don't know about the theology of all this. I'm just telling you, this is what happened to me. So you can figure it out on your own, but, I was begging and pleading for God to just reveal himself and for me to feel his presence. And anyway, one morning I woke up and it was like God had died and there was no God in this world. I don't have the words to describe this to you, but I really believe that this is what hell is going to be like. I believe hell is going to have physical flames because there's scriptures that talk about it. But I think that the worst part of hell is that there won't be any God. There will be no presence of God. There will be no, nothing good. Everything will be evil and no hope. And for three days, I felt that. Now, I believe based on scripture that the Lord didn't leave me, but all of my sense of our awareness of his presence left. And for 3 days, I mean, it just devastated me. I was a chaplain's assistant and people would come into the chaplain's bunker to make an appointment with him and I was I was so messed up that I just was sure everybody could see how I felt and I remember literally getting in this little we had a little closet I had made and I got under some clothes and piled them over me and hid so that nobody could see me. I couldn't face anybody. I was devastated. For three days, I fasted and prayed and begged God, God, what happened? Where did you go? Oh, God. And and I knew the scripture that says he'd never leave me nor forsake me. But man, I felt like he had. And at the end of three days, I woke up early in the morning beside my cot, kneeling beside my cot. And I was praying and I woke up that way and nothing special happened. I didn't have a bolt of lightning or a goose bump, but all of a sudden I just had my normal peace back. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, that's what it feels like if I wasn't with you. And he says, on your worst day, he says, I'm always with you. And man, after that, you know what, since then, I've never begged God to, Oh God, please be with me (laughs) because man, I found out what it was like to be without God. Anyway, the reason I bring all this up is to say some of you may feel like God's not around, but God's always with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Your feelings cannot be trusted. The Bible says He never leaves us nor forsakes us. For those three days, my feelings made me feel like God wasn't there. But you know what? He was. He's always with us. And so we have to acknowledge this. We have to acknowledge Christ in us. You know, the word acknowledge, look at this over in Philemon chapter one. This is the book right before Hebrews. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. In Philemon or Philemon, however you say that. Over in England, they say Philemon, I believe. And in verse 6, it says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You have to acknowledge the good things that are in you. And, of course, you can talk about healing, anointing, wisdom peace, all of the fruit of the spirit and on and on you can go, but you can sum it all up in saying Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We have to acknowledge this. And this is what makes our faith effective. Again, there's so many people that come to me and when they come, they present it like, man, I'm desperate. I'm sick. The doctor says I'm dying. And they act as if God isn't in there. If you really got hold of this, that that God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, lives on the inside of you, just inches away from that cancer, is the resurrection power of Jesus. This is not just in symbolism. It isn't just on a piece of paper, but literally, you are God-possessed. Romans chapter eight, verse nine says, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Anybody who's sitting here saying, well, I'm a believer, but I don't know that I actually have him physically living on the inside of me, then you aren't his. You have to have the spirit of Christ. If you've been born again, God Almighty lives on the inside of you and his resurrection power, his wisdom, his joy, his peace, Everything that he is, everything that he has, you've got it on the inside of you. Why do we live as just mere mortals? Because you know what? We aren't focused on this. We aren't really acknowledging this on a regular basis. When the Lord began to show me what I term spirit, soul, and body... And I saw that in my spirit is the part of me that was changed. And my spirit is identical to Jesus, that it is the spirit of Jesus that was given unto me. When I got a revelation of this, I mean everything in my life began to change. Jamie and I had never even heard of Copenhagen, Copeland and Hagen. We had never heard faith teaching, we had never heard anybody talk about miracles. We were raised in a Baptist church that we were told that uh, uh, miracles passed away with the apostles and God doesn't do miracles nowadays. I was told it was God that killed my father when I was 12 years old, that it was God who did the, all of these things. It was completely opposite my doctrine, but I got hold of this revelation of Christ in me, that my spirit was identical to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. I got hold of that revelation. I saw Christ living on the inside of me and all of a sudden I no longer approached life as a mere human being. I started looking at cancer, and when people told me they had cancer, I did, you know, I'd been told that God doesn't do those kind of things, but I knew Jesus was on the inside of me, and I knew that Jesus could handle this, and I immediately began to start thinking differently. I remember going to the hospital and praying for a woman that had cancer, and as far as I knew, nobody had been healed of cancer in 2,000 years, but yet I believed for somebody to be healed of cancer just because I knew that God lived on the inside of me. I wish I had better words to convey to you what I'm trying to say, but I'm trying to say to you that if you really acknowledged and believed that Jesus lived on the inside of you, you would not put up with the stuff that you're putting up with. But people, they see themselves as, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. And so you feel powerless when cancer comes. You feel powerless when it's a recession. Everybody's talking about recession. And so you just buckle and you expect to have financial problems because after all, you're only human. There's no difference between you and the person over next door that doesn't know the Lord. That's not right. You've got Christ living on the inside of you. The same one who when Peter came to him and he says, Lord, do we pay taxes? And he says, sure, we pay taxes. Go down to the water and cast into your hook into the water and the first fish that you catch, look in his mouth and there's money in there. Did you know the same Jesus who did that lives on the inside of you and he can tell you exactly where to go and get money and what you have to do. It says he will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus And yet I'm not trying to scold anybody, but I'm trying to shake you up. And if you'll bend over, I'll give you a good swift kick in the rear and help you get going. But I'm saying that there's many people in this room right now who when it came to the recession, you approached it as just a person. And God's power was out there and you may have prayed and asked God to do something but you were passive waiting on Him to just dump it in your lap instead of realizing that Almighty God lives on the inside of you and He promised He would supply your need according to His riches and glory, not the U.S. economy and you just passively sat there waiting on God to do something instead of recognizing God's in you. And if you're going to see God move, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to do something. When you get this concept that God lives on the inside of you, it'll make a difference in the way you approach things. You won't sit there and just put up with it. And when you see a commercial on television where everybody's sick, and if you're over 50, you've got to start having this test and that test, and you're going to have all of these problems. Instead of just swallowing those lies, you'll sit there and say, no, Christ lives on the inside of me. And like these verses that I was using during the offering, you can sit there and say, man, I'm going to meditate in the Word day and night. Then I will make my way prosperous. Then I will have good success. It'll be marrow to my bones. I'm going to have long life and peace. And you expect something different because you're God-possessed. You know, if you're demon-possessed, you expect a person to act a certain way because that demon controls and manifests through them. Well, we are God-possessed. God himself lives on the inside of us. And praise God, you ought to start shooting for something more than just being normal like people that don't know God. And even Christians are afraid to get their hopes up. Well, I'm afraid to start believing in divine health because what if it doesn't work? What if it does work? (laughs) Most people are just shooting at nothing every time and hitting it because that's the safe way to live. You'll never be disappointed. You'll uh, You'll never be questioning why didn't something work. But I'm telling you, God himself lives on the inside of you And we should be getting the same results that Jesus got when he walked on this earth. We ought to be walking in that kind of a life. Again, did you know that religion has come along and taught against the very things I'm saying right here? I can guarantee you there's some people in this room right now sitting there thinking, so you're condemning people. You don't have any compassion. You don't understand. And see that religion has come along and talked about how we just need to sit. And I'm, I'm not saying that you're mean towards people that don't see the power of God manifest in their life. But we shouldn't lower the standard and say God doesn't do these things anymore. How dare you try and encourage people to have an abundant life and walk in victory. I have compassion towards people that aren't there. I'm trying to help you and tell you the truth. But I'm saying that, man, God does want you to have an abundant life. There ought to be a difference between you and a person that doesn't know the Lord. You're alive and they're dead. There ought to be a difference between somebody who's born again. And a friend of mine said he had a church service where a person died. They called 911 and they took out half of the congregation before they found the dead person. I mean, most of our church services are dead. You need to look alive. The buzzards are coming, praise God. I'm telling you, if you just got this revelation that Christ lives on the inside of me, I've got God's power. It's not out there someplace. You know, all of this teaching about we've got to clear the heavens and get a path so that our prayers can get up to God. This comes from the lack of understanding that Christ lives on the inside of us. I've heard people pray Isaiah chapter 64. I think it's verse six. that says, rend the heavens and come down. It's maybe it's Isaiah 64 one, but right there someplace close. It says rend the heavens and come down. And I've heard people pray that and pray oh god rent the heavens oh god send revival oh god stretch forth your hand oh god move and they feel they have to do something to get god to release his power that there are demons blocking our prayers from getting up to god what that does is show the ignorance of people that they don't understand that god rent the heavens he came down through jesus and now he lives on the inside of you You don't need to get your prayers above the ceiling. You don't need to get your prayers above the nose because God lives on the inside of you. That's why you bow your head when you pray so you can look at God. Say, Father, if you had this concept of God Almighty lives on the inside of me, it would change your whole attitude. Now, there's a lot of things you need to know. And like I was announcing on that book, A Better Way to Pray, I've learned some things and now I get better results. I'm not saying that just knowing that God is in you is everything. You've got to learn. Like there's things that talk about death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can release life or death with the words that you say. Faith without works is dead. And on and on, I can share a lot of different things with you. There's things you need to know, but... Just knowing that Christ is in you and having an aware of this and acknowledging it 24 hours a day, every day of your life would change the way you deal with stuff. If you really believed that you were God possessed, if you really believe that God Almighty lived on the inside of you, it would change your whole outlook. It would change everything. It would totally do away with hopelessness. Depression would be impossible. If you really acknowledged his presence with you all of the time, it'd be impossible to be depressed, to think that almighty God, who's got billions of people that want his attention, who are praying and asking him for things. He's got a universe to run. He's got so many things to do and almighty God lives on the inside of you. If you really understood that, it would change the way you approach life. And if you don't know these other things that you need to know, but if you just knew this one thing, it would change everything. You know, an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if it doesn't quit. And if you just knew that, God, you're with me. I don't know how to get you out. I don't know how to release it. I don't know how to receive it, but I know it's here someplace. I guarantee you, you would stumble into victory every once in a while. You just accidentally would get it. This is what Jamie and I did. Did you know when we saw the first blind eye open, I didn't know that anybody's blind eyes had been open in 2000 years. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know that anybody was praying for it. I thought we were the very first ones. <laughs> but you know, it happened because I knew Jesus was on the inside and I saw what he did in the Bible, how he healed blind Bartimaeus and how he did other things, put spit on this man's eye and how he started. And I just couldn't help but think that if he's, in me, then praise God, the same things he did, I can do also. And we started seeing miracles happening. This is what makes your faith become effectual, is by acknowledging every good thing in you. And you can sum all that up by saying Christ is in you and everything he's got, all of his power, all of his wisdom. We sing these stupid songs like, Lord, Lord. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. And we just glorify our infirmities. And in the natural, with your little peanut brain, I admit that we don't know everything. Some of you can't even find your glasses when they're on top of your head. <laughs> with our brains, we don't know it all. But in our spirit, it says, First Corinthians two sixteen: we have the mind of Christ. If you really believe, That Jesus lives on the inside of me. I've got his wisdom. He is made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. First Corinthians one thirty. If you really believe that all of this was in here, I guarantee you we'd quit singing these stupid songs about we don't understand. Oh God, we don't know. Further along, we're just gonna have to wait till we get to heaven. You can draw on the wisdom of God right now. It says in, in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, doesn't punish you or criticize you, and it shall be given you. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you, if you don't have wisdom up here in your little peanut-sized brain then just ask God based on those verses and believe that you've got the mind of Christ. You've got the wisdom of God and God will give it to you. But instead we've come along saying, well, we just don't understand. I'm an old sinner saved by grace. And we focus on our physical, mental limitations instead of who we are in Christ. We aren't thinking about it. You need to have a superiority attitude, not in yourself not in your carnal self. You need to have a realistic attitude that you know what? You are a mess in yourself. That the flesh is impossible to please God. It is not your natural ability. Don't lean under your own understanding, but then you need to have this other concept that... I can do nothing by myself, John chapter 15 verse 5, but I'm never by myself and through Christ I can do all things, Philippians 4.13. And you've got to have those two things in balance. You and yourself are nobody, but Christ in you is everything and you can do all things through Christ. Man, that's awesome. You know, I grew up, with all kinds of problems, primarily because of religion. And I was an introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face. I just had a lot of things I was totally inept at and things. And one of them, my brother, when my dad died, my brother came and he he says, I'm going to be your father and take over. He was four years older than me. I was 12. He was 16. And I told him, you are make a lousy father. And I resented it. And there was this sibling rivalry and my brother, he he's never seen anything mechanical that he couldn't fix. When he was about 17, he took a car apart, the motor down to the last bolt and nut and put it back together just to see if he could do it. And he did it. He's just a master mechanic. And anyway, he tried to force me to become a mechanic. And so I went the other direction just to spite him. You are not going to make me this one. So as a result, I can barely put a nut on a bolt. <laughs> but anyway, when, I came, when the Lord changed my life and I started recognizing Christ in me, the hope of glory, did you know it started affecting the way I thought? And I started working on cars. I started doing things. That in the natural, I didn't have the ability to do, but I just based it on this fact that I can do all things through Christ. And I remember one of those things, Jamie and I were just really poor and we were, anyway, it's a long story, but we were living in this lady's home. We were renting it from her and she had this, uh, we bought her furniture because she was never gonna come back. She'd been struck by lightning and her kids rented us the house. So anyway, we bought her furniture and they had this little serving thing that was made out of wood and it had uh, grapes carved into it. It was a really pretty deal. And when you picked it up, it had a music box, but it didn't work. And did you know in the natural, that's not the kind of thing I could fix, but I just decided I can do all things. And I took that thing apart and I don't know what I did to it, but I took it apart and worked on it and figured it out the best. And I was praying in tongues, asking God to give me wisdom, put it back together. And that thing worked forever. We were given a washing machine that they said it was going to cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars to fix. And I went in and worked on it and I fixed the washing machine, which, you know, is a small thing. But I'm just telling you how that if you start understanding Christ is in you and if you have his wisdom and if you know these, things, it'll change your attitude and you'll get to where I can do things. You'll start doing things that you in your natural self couldn't do. You start drawing on the spirit instead of just the physical realm. But again, very few Christians have this realization in a tangible way, in a practical way in their life that Christ is living on the inside of you. He's not just out there and you have access to him in an emergency under a crisis situation. But 24 hours a day, every moment of every day, Christ is living on the inside of you and he is wanting to get out. He's wanting to release His power. He's wanting to release His healing, His love, His prosperity. If you really believe that, if you got a knowledge of that, it would change your entire attitude. You wouldn't go through this life as just an old sinner saved by grace, but you'd recognize, man, I've been changed. God Himself lives on the inside of me. I've now got the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of me. And, and it would change your attitude. It would change your expectancy. It would change the results that you get. Again, I wish I had better words. I just don't have the words to try and make this as real to you as as what God has made it to me. But you've got to understand He'll never leave you. Not only would it change your life in positive ways, but you know what? It would also change your life, you'd quit doing a lot of the stupid, sinful things that you do if you had a knowledge that Christ is with you all the time. If you would sit there and think, Lord, do you want to watch this program? Because he's with you. You know, if Jesus was tangibly with you, I guarantee you, most of you, your life would change pretty dramatically. (laughs) You wouldn't go some of the places you go. You wouldn't read some of the things that you read. You wouldn't watch some of the stuff that you watch. Your life would change if you could just think of Christ being with you all of the time. And the truth is, He is. How would your life change if Jesus was with you every minute of every day? He is. And we just don't acknowledge it. Man, this needs to sink in that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And look at this passage over in Matthew chapter 13. It says not only, I'm back, I'm doing this uh, Colossians chapter two, verse two backwards. We're talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory, that's the mystery, and you've got to acknowledge it. But you know, acknowledging is a word that is in a sense just a passive word. It just means that you acknowledge it. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing anything with it. But the first step is you can't appropriate what it means to have God living on the inside of you until first of all, you acknowledge it. You've got to come to the acknowledgement. You've got to come to the realization that it's there. But then in Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 19, this is uh, talking about the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And it gives four different types of people who the Word was sown in their heart. And the very first one, it says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And so the very first type of person is a person that heard the word, but they didn't understand it. Satan had complete access to steal away the word out of their heart. There was four different types of people here. The only one that Satan had total access to were people that didn't understand. Understanding is the first step in getting the seed of God's word down below the surface to where the fowls of the air, the devil can't steal it away from you. And it's amazing how most people don't have understanding. Understanding is like, you know, you could put some food in front of a person. You could even put it on the tip of their tongue, but if they don't swallow it, it's not gonna do them any good. Understanding is how you swallow this and get it down on the inside of you. And there's some people in this room who you're familiar with the phrase that Christ is in you, that God lives in you. If I was to ask you a quiz, you could answer the question, but you don't understand it. And until you understand this, it's not going to really impact your life. And you know, I got born again when I was eight years old and I could have told you that, yeah, I believe that God lives on the inside of me, that when I got born again, that Christ lives in me. I could have said that, but I did not understand it. And the thing that changed my life was this understanding of what I call spirit, soul, and body. I've got a book on that. And the way I, the thing that kept me from understanding Christ in me was because Most of us just live in a physical world. You go look at yourself in the mirror and you can see what you look like. If you've got a problem, you know, if if you have a pain, you can usually see it. You can see something or you can feel it. It's tangible. If you have an emotional problem, you can search your emotions and you can feel it. But when it comes to the spirit, you can't see your spirit. And what I didn't understand is that when it says Christ lives in me, he doesn't live in my flesh. There's not a physical test. You can't take my blood and prove that it's the blood of Jesus. My blood is physical blood. My body isn't God possessed. My mind is not God possessed. But in my spirit, the part of me that was born again, that's where this change took place. And this is why this changed my life, is because I began to understand how God could live in me. When I looked in the mirror, I didn't look any different. When I searched my mind and emotions, I didn't feel any different, but there's a third part of me, the spirit. And that's the part that was changed. And Christ lives in my spirit. Matter of fact, my old dead spirit is gone. I don't even have a sinful nature anymore, which that's going to really upset a lot of religious people because that is probably one of the dominant things it's taught. But your, your old man is dead, gone and non-existent. You don't have a sinful nature anymore. There is not anything that compels you to be defeated and sinful anymore. The only reason you're living a life substandard to what Jesus told us to do is because we haven't renewed our mind. Our mind is like a computer and it was programmed by our old man to be selfish and to be timid and fearful and all of these kind of things and bitter and all of this. And it's gonna continue to function the way it was programmed until it's reprogrammed. That's the reason the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind is reprogramming. Your spirit's changed. In the spirit, man, you have the spirit of His Son that was sent into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 4. Your spirit is literally the spirit of Christ, He lives on the inside of you. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And the sad thing is, most of us understand our physical body. If I was talking to you on the phone and asked, uh, you know, you're coming to the meeting, how do I know you? You could describe yourself. You could tell me how tall you are, whether you're male or female, what color your hair is. You could tell me all kinds of things about you. You know your physical body. You could describe your mental, emotional state to me, whether you're happy or sad, depressed, bold, outgoing, introverted. You know yourself like a book inside and out in the physical and emotional realm. But the only way you can know the spirit is through the word because you can't see your spirit. You can't do, run a test for your spirit. You can't feel your spirit, which I know that that contradicts some religious teaching. I had not got time right now to deal with that, but you can't feel your spirit. The spirit realm, Jesus said this, that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. You cannot discern the spirit in any fleshly, physical, natural way. So how do you know what you're like in the spirit? How do you know what you have in the spirit? John 6, 63 says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit. And so you just have to read The Word and what it says about you, you believe. And it says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. That's not talking about your physical body. If you were a male before you got saved, you're still a male after you get saved. If you were ugly before you got saved, you'll still be ugly after you get saved. And that's not talking about your mental, emotional part. If you had bad thoughts and bad memories, you still have those things after you get saved. Your mind and your body didn't change, but according to the word of God, your spirit is completely brand new. And God himself lives on the inside of you. You are in the spirit realm. You are wall to wall, Holy Ghost. You are filled with God's power and anointing. But it doesn't change anything automatically until you renew your mind, until you acknowledge it and then begin to understand it. And the thing that just unlocked my understanding is to understand that it is not in the physical, emotional realm that I'm God-possessed and changed. It's in my spirit. And I can't see my spirit. I can't feel my spirit. I just have to hold up the Word of God like a mirror and whatever it says about me, that's true. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There's times I don't feel that way because that's not in my physical body and it's not in my emotional realm, but in my spirit, I've got all spiritual blessings. It says in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In my spirit, I've got all of these things. love. There's times that I don't feel love, but you know what? I've got it. It's in my spirit. And the victory in the Christian life is learning how to not lean under what I feel, what I see, just my physical realm. Instead, I'm going to go by who I am in Christ. I'm going to focus on Christ living on the inside of me. What did he do? I'm going to walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh. I've had people spit in my face. I've had people do all kinds of things to me. And I guarantee you, that didn't make me want to reach out and just say, bless you, brother. I wanted to slap them. I wanted to hit them. But you know what? I know that in my spirit, I've got love, joy, and peace. I don't care what I feel. This understanding just revolutionized my life. I had acknowledged that Christ lived in me. I could have said those words. But when I began to understand that it was in the spirit realm, and whether I can see it or feel it or not, God is always there. And I am a brand new person, and this new person has the same power that Jesus has, so that He said, The works that I do shall you do also, and greater work. When I begin to see that that's who I was, and I understand that this is the change that took place, I guarantee you, it impacted my life. And like I said, it's been a long journey. It's been now 40, it'll be 46 years since the Lord began to show me these things, and I'm still learning. But immediately, I started doing things that were outside of the traditions that I was brought up in. I started seeing miracles happen, and I started getting into the Word. And the more I got into the Word and renewed my mind, I have seen greater and greater things happen, and I'm seeing God change people's lives. Awesome things are happening. I'm telling you, this will work for any one of us. Instead of just believing that He's out there, that God exists, that He can do anything, but He has done nothing... But he could do it if you will pray hard enough, if you will do all of these things. If you would start understanding that it's already a done deal. God lives on the inside of you. If you really get hold of this, how can you doubt that you'll get what you've already got? It says in Ephesians, I wish I had time to put all of this in context, but Ephesians and Colossians are basically the exact same teaching. The Apostle Paul wrote it and they mirror each other. There are so many verses in Ephesians and Colossians that are the same, just said in different words. And over in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18, he says that he's praying that God would open up the eyes of your understanding so that you could see. See here again is the understanding, not just the acknowledgement, but you've got to understand it. Open up the eyes of your understanding that you might be able to comprehend or let's see, the eyes of your understanding and the enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Notice it's not out there in heaven, but it's in the saints. The glory of God is already in you. Second Thessalonians 2.14, you, you have already obtained the glory of God. And then verse 19 says, according to the power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He's praying that your eyes would be open to what you already have. This raising from the dead power, the power that raised Christ from the dead is already on the inside of you. And yet the average Christian is saying, oh God, give me more power. Where's God going to get any more power? you got the same amount of power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. You don't need more power. You don't need to be healed. The Bible says, 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed. But people, again, they don't understand and they think, well, I'm not healed. I've got a doctor's report to prove that I'm not healed. i got pain to prove that I'm not healed. Anybody can look at me and tell that I'm not healed. See, you're just operating only in the physical realm. You don't know who you are in Christ. You don't see Christ in you you don't recognize that you've got the resurrection healing power of God living on the inside of you. And so again, I have people come to me by the thousands just presenting how pitiful their situation is. And oh, I can do nothing. I have nothing. Would you please pray for me? And I have compassion on you, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that's one of the reasons that you got the problem is because you think that God is out there and maybe he might answer my prayer and flow through me, but you don't see Christ in you, the hope of glory. You don't recognize that you have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. You think it's someplace else and you got to go get it. Oh God, stretch forth your hand and touch this person. God doesn't need to stretch forth his hand. He's put his son on the inside of you. You've got raising from the dead power on the inside of you. You've got more than enough for anything. Boy, if we could understand this, it would just revolutionize your life. I'm going to say this so many different ways this weekend that praise God, I believe you're going to get it. But back to Colossians, this is what he's saying. He, he's concerned because these people, he didn't minister to them personally. He wants to make sure they, they get the foundation, the basics, and you know what he's doing? Instead of saying, now don't worry about this and don't go, you know, instead of telling you all of the things that could be wrong... Instead, he just goes to telling you the truth. If you ever got hold of this truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory, if you understood it, if you got assured and then fully assured and then reached the riches of the full assurance, you don't have to worry about somebody deceiving you. Man, when you understand who you are in Christ and and that he lives on the inside of you and what he's made available All of Satan's lies and deceptions are powerless. You find out what it's like to be God-possessed. You live with a consciousness that, God, you're with me. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. You indwell me. It'll change everything. You won't be intimidated by anybody or anything. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. How could you be afraid of any man if you went around thinking, I am God-possessed. God Almighty lives on the inside of me. How could you be afraid of people's rejection? Man, I've been rejected by lots of people. I've been criticized. If criticism would kill you, I'd be dead. I've had so many people criticize me. I've got people that hate me. My son was telling me about a blog that was written that I'm the most dangerous man in America. And they talk about how I'm a crook and all this kind of stuff. But you know how I deal with that? God Almighty loves me. He lives on the inside of me. And if God loves me, who cares what you think? If you're just limping through life because somebody's rejected you, you know what the antidote is? It's not to get that person to like you. It's not to somehow or another punish them and see them suffer as much as you feel like you've suffered. What you do is just go back to how much God loves you. And if you could ever understand how much He loves you, if you could understand that God Almighty chose to live on the inside of you, And if you were to get the revelation of how much that He loves you, to live inside of you, to go all of the places that you go, to do all of the stuff that you do, if you just could think about that, you could get to a place where if you're a husband, wife, children, boss, relatives, neighbors, whoever doesn't love you, you would want to see it change for their sake so that you could be a blessing to them. But you don't have to be dependent upon it. You aren't codependent upon anybody else's acceptance. If God Almighty accepts you, who cares what anybody else thinks? You would want to walk in peace so that you could be a blessing to other people, but you don't have to have it. There are people right here in this room that you have absolutely made yourself codependent upon people and upon their acceptance codependent upon success in certain things. You have to have all of these external things to be able to survive. And I'm just telling you, if you could get a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, you could reach a place where you just don't care that much. You'd never feel alone. How in the world could you be lonely if you understood Christ in you, the hope of glory? I just don't compute that. I've been so long acknowledging Christ in me that I've I've never been alone. I don't understand being lonely. I know some of you are thinking, well, you just don't know my situation. I'm just telling you, you don't know the truth. (laughs) You don't realize God's with you. You can fellowship with him anytime, all of the time. He's with you all of the time. He'll never leave you. And if you really understood that, it would just transform your life. I really intended to get a lot further tonight, but I didn't do it. I'm going to continue to talk about getting the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of this mystery and share some things with you. But the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. So I'm going to let you go. But I'm not through. I'm just going to quit and we'll take up again tomorrow. I encourage you to come back if at all possible. Praise the Lord. But brothers and sisters, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would somehow or another take these words and help you to understand that God isn't out there someplace. He's rent the heaven. He now lives on the inside of you. And all He is and all He has is available to you 24-7. And you should just be basking in the fact that God Almighty loves you. We've got so much religious tradition and doctrine that has crept in, that has kept us from really appropriating all of the riches of this full assurance. But praise God, I'm going to do what I can through these scriptures to share with you and to help renew our mind. And I believe that you're going to leave here understanding that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you can get that, it'll change your entire outlook on life. It'll change everything. That's awesome. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit takes these words and that you help us all to understand your presence with us. This mystery which was hidden under the old covenant that people never knew, they never even understood that this was possible, that they could be God-possessed, that you could live in them on a consistent basis and never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I pray that you give revelation of this to every one of us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to quicken our understanding and help us to get a revelation of this. Thank you, Father. We just receive it. And I thank you, Father, that you are doing this. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, everything I've talked about tonight is dependent upon you having Jesus in your life. You aren't born that way. All of us are born separated from God. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must have this whole sinful nature taken out of you and a new nature put in you. And that doesn't happen through just going to church or acknowledging the existence of God. In James chapter 2 verse 19, it says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble." But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It takes more than just believing that there's a God. The devil believes that there's a God. You've got to submit yourself unto him. You've got to make him your Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You've got to bow the knee. You've got to, in your heart, bow your knee and make Jesus your Lord. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect because you can't be perfect. It doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake, but it means that you're willing to give him your life and yield to him and let him rule your life. If you've never done that, then you need to receive salvation tonight. You need to be born again. Only then does God live on the inside of you. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians because they believe in the Christian God. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. And they just think that believing that makes them a Christian. But the reason you're struggling is because you don't have God living on the inside of you. And you need your nature changed. You need to be born again. So if there's anybody here like that tonight... I want to pray with you and help you to receive Jesus. And once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples, even after they had made him their Lord and believed he was risen from the dead, he told them, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't tell anybody until you receive power from on high. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they had these cloven tongues of fire. I'll probably talk about that tomorrow, what that means. But man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues is absolutely essential. You know, speaking in tongues is important. But one of the greatest things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is He quickens your understanding. You know what I've talked about tonight? You can't retain this in just your natural mind. The natural mind cannot operate in the spiritual things of God because you can't see it or feel it. You can only discern this by the Spirit what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. So one of the greatest effects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it changes your ability to comprehend and receive revelation from God. You need that. If you've been born again, but if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely indispensable. Somebody says, well, do I have to have the Holy Spirit speak in tongues to go to heaven? No. You can go to heaven quicker without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you aren't going to be spiritual. You're going to be carnal and something will kill you along the way. You don't have to have it, but why would you not want something that God has for you? I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, changed my life. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues nearly every day of my life. It's important. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive it. And somebody's thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, I am. If you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is. Some of you think well, they don't do that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. But I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those? I neither need to receive my salvation and or I need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you and help you to receive Praise the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive Come forward right now and let us pray with you. young man came to me before the service tonight and said he was going to receive the Holy Spirit speaking tongues tonight. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. If I could get you to spread out instead of stand behind each other, the reason for that is we're going to have prayer ministers come up here and lay hands on you and it would help us if you just spread out all across the auditorium instead of standing behind each other. That will allow these prayer ministers to come up and lay hands on you. Okay? Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? I tell you what, this is going to change your life. All right, what we'll do, since you didn't follow my instructions, we'll just make two rows (laughs) so that they can come stand in here, okay? That's fine. That's fine. All right. I tell you, it's like herding cats sometimes to get people to do things. All right, before I can pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, the Bible says you, first of all, have to be born again. Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit, so you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely certain That you are born again. You may be a religious person. You may believe in God, but like I said, the devils believe. Have you ever committed your life to him? And when you do that, it makes a difference. You become a new person. You know that you've passed from death unto life is what the scripture says. You have the witness of the spirit in yourself. If you haven't first of all accepted Jesus and made Him your Lord, you can't receive the Holy Spirit. None of the rest of this will work. You've got to be changed in your heart. Is there anybody who would say I'm not sure? Pray with I want to pray with you and make sure that I'm born again. Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If you aren't sure, here's somebody down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are all the rest of you sure you're born again? You're sure. If you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. There's no doubt about it. You're sure. Have you prayed and made Jesus your Lord receive salvation? (laughs) I got born again when I was eight. I didn't understand everything, but I got truly born again. You don't have to understand it all just as long as you've committed your life to Jesus. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. You know, I'm not trying to talk you out of this, but I'm just, there's so many people. are just assuming that they're saved? you don't you can't remember a time when you did it but you're just thinking well I've, i've always believed in god that's not salvation i tell you when you get saved you know something happened you may not be able to call the date but you know that you made a commitment of your life to the lord is everybody up here sure of that amen well that's good Well, then I'll pray with these two or three. Here's another one down here. Praise God. What I'd like to ask is I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray with us. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to say words similar to what you have to say to be saved. There is no exact formula. It's not like you just say these certain words and you'll be born again. But I'm going to pray a prayer that is based on Romans 10.9. And I'm going to say the things that the scripture says that you need to say in order to be saved. And if you will believe it with your heart, it's not magic. It's not like you just say these words and you're automatically saved. But the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So I'd like to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And if you'll believe from your heart, you will be born again. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray with me so that these won't feel like we're just listening to them. But let's say this. Say, Father, Father I'm, sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that salvation. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive, that you now live in me. I am saved. I am, forgiven. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 You believe that? Welcome to the family. You are born again. God bless you. I believe you are saved. You know, if you prayed that and meant it, then in your spirit, you're changed. Your body's not changed. Your mind's not instantly changed. You have to renew that through studying the word, but in the spirit. Now, every person who has prayed that has God himself living on the inside of you. Now we want to receive the power of the Holy spirit because God never moves without his spirit. When he created the worlds, the spirit moved upon the waters. you've got to receive this power. And in the Bible, when they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. So we are going to just pray a simple prayer. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's what you were created for. God would never deny any of you the Holy Spirit. There's some religious people who teach that if you've got any sin in your life, if you've got any problem, God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God had not got any other kind of vessel to fill. If you could get clean and holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Don't let some feeling of, I don't deserve it, stop you. He created you to fill with His Spirit. If you will just open up the doors of your heart and welcome him in, I guarantee you God is going to give you the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that he, he loves you. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So don't worry about will he do it? He promised he would do it. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and they're going to stand behind you and lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And so we're going to open up our hearts, welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Then these people are going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And after they do that, I want you to quit asking For the Holy Spirit and start thanking Him that He gave. Use some faith. He promised He did do it, believe it, And just go to thanking Him out loud with your mouth. Go to saying, thank you, Father, that I believe I now receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. And then those of us who know how to speak in tongues, who've already received this, we're going to start speaking in tongues, not, you know, in a way that we bother everybody and get loud with it, but just speak in tongues so that they won't feel like everybody's listening to them. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to join in and pray in tongues with us. Quit thanking in English and start speaking in a language that you don't have a clue what you're saying. And, and I've got a book I'm going to give everybody who will explain salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this will get, it'll answer all your questions, but if you're ready, you can do it right now. And let me just give one instruction. The number one thing that keeps people from speaking in tongues is that they think the Holy Spirit's going to force you to speak in tongues. He's going to take control of your tongue and just make you talk. That's not how it comes. You have to speak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it told people that you control this. You can start it. You can stop it. It's not the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. He doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. He inspires you. You have to talk. It's similar to when I preached tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. But if I had just said, oh God, speak through me and then open up my mouth and wait on God to make me talk, we still wouldn't have heard anything. He didn't make me talk. It was me that talked. I I spoke. That's the reason it came out in Texan. (laughs) But I believe that God inspired it. I believe that God used it. Speaking in tongues is like that. You have to speak and believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. Anyway, I've got a book that will explain the whole thing. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. And I tell you, this, you probably don't understand what it's all about, but it's one of the most important things that will ever happen in your life. It is very, very powerful. Amen. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And, a believer. and I will speak in tongues. I'm a Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for those who prayed and received their salvation. We believe that they are changed in their heart. We believe that every one of us now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you intend to fill us with your power and that you want to do it more than we want to receive it. So we just open up the doors of our temple. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives and to fill us, to give us this power, to give us a renewed mind and revelation. We receive this right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now we lay hands on you and we release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Father, I thank you that you are filling all of these people right now with the power and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. thanking Put your hands in the air. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Surrender right now. Put your hands in the air. Let's start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that we are God-possessed, that your power of the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us right now. Thank you, Father. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start worshiping God in tongues right now. Because when you pray in tongues, the Bible says you're giving thanks well. So let's start speaking in tongues right now. Those of you who came forward to receive, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else. When he's trying to say what they're saying and it comes out different, just keep talking. Thank you, Jesus. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. you got to open your mouth and talk. Just speak, be bold right now. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a baby first talks, it doesn't sound like they're saying anything intelligent, but that father knows what that child is trying to say. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart right now. Doesn't matter what it sounds like. He's listening to your heart. You're taking steps of faith. And this blesses God. He inhabits the praises of his people. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Many, many of these are speaking in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God hallelujah well lots of these are speaking in tongues you're bypassing your brain, you're talking to God out of your spirit, all of the unbelief and doubt that's in your mind is being bypassed right now as you pray in tongues thank you Jesus thank you thank you Father hallelujah let me have your attention here for just a minute I'm sorry to interrupt you But you know, whether you spoke in tongues right now or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. Amen. So I believe that God gave every one of you the Holy Spirit, but you need to speak in tongues because that's your way of releasing it. And it's really important. So whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe you got it, but you need to. To go ahead and speak in tongues. When I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. (laughs) And I had been taught that this was of the devil. And I had so much wrong thinking and confusion and fear about it that I just wouldn't do it. But anyway, I kept at it. I finally got my questions answered. I've written all of these things in a book. And I've, I've had thousands of people come forward like this who didn't speak in tongues immediately, but after reading the book and getting your questions answered, they were able to speak in tongues. So I want you to know that whether you spoke in tongues or not, God gave you the Holy Spirit. Now you just need to understand this book will help you to understand and you will be able to speak in tongues and get the full benefit of it. Amen. So we've got Mark right over here. He's a guy in the white shirt with his Bible up. And he's just going to take you to this little room right there, and he'll give you a book. Also, if anybody has any questions, you are welcome to ask questions. There's people that will pray with you, but we believe that it's important for you to get this book so you get the full benefit of it. So if you would, just follow Mark, and he's going to take you to this little room. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, praise the Lord, boy, this is exciting. This is going to change people's lives. Hallelujah. You know, these are our prayer ministers down here, and I'd like to invite you to come and let one of them pray for you. I know that there's many people came here believing God for a miracle And you're wanting someone to agree with you. And so instead of me praying with you personally, I'm offering you all of our prayer ministers. These are people that have been through a training session. They're people that have, many of them are Bible college graduates. Many of them have been partners with us for many, many years. These are people that we have confidence in that they can pray in faith and help you to receive. So if you need prayer, I'd like to ask you to come forward right now and let someone pray with you. Uh, Just come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to direct you towards someone to pray for you so that everybody won't just get on one side. And we believe God for miracles. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray. And many times when I pray, the Holy Spirit will show me things that are happening. We have people healed by the word of knowledge and different things. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us. You're free to go if you need to. Remember, we've got tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, Saturday morning and Saturday night. And Saturday night, our meeting is going to be at 6 p.m. instead of 7. And that allows my crew to take down all of the stuff and pack up and get to bed before 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So on Saturday night, we meet at 6 instead of 7. Don't forget that we have CDs and DVDs of tonight's message back there and they're already duplicated and you can get those right back there in the uh, back left hand, my back left hand corner, your back right hand corner of the room. Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you and believe that it is your will for every single person to be well that by the stripes of Jesus we've already been healed. And so we stand here, Father, doing what your word says, that if we lay hands on the sick, they recover. And a prayer of agreement, a prayer of faith will save the sick. So, Father, we're praying for people right now, and we believe that your power that already indwells us is manifesting itself in our bodies. We command sickness to leave right now. Every single person in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We command all of these back problems to be healed, arthritis to be healed, sugar diabetes to be healed. Father, we release your power and believe that your anointing is flowing and setting people free right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here's got a ringing in the ears, a high-pitched ringing in the ear. Here's the healing power of God setting you free. Right now, that's stopping. This ringing in the ear is stopping right now. Who's this that's got a high-pitched ringing in the ear? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one here. Here's some others. And there's people all over. Praise God, Dave, in the name of Jesus. You're healed. Father, we just speak that in Jesus' name that this ringing in the ear stops right now. Whatever causes that, I command it to stop now in Jesus' name. Praise God. I believe that right there is the healing power of God and that this ringing is stopping. Somebody of you can't tell right now because of all of the noise, but when you get quiet by yourself, it's going to be gone. It's gone in Jesus' name. Father, we receive this healing. Thank you, Father. Somebody here is torn a muscle. I don't know how that happened, but you've got a torn muscle, and God is healing that thing supernaturally. You don't have to just let it repair itself over a long period of time. There's an anointing of God right now to heal somebody's torn muscle. Who is that? I want you to identify yourself. Here's a person back here. Anybody else? Here's another one over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Praise God. Awesome. Praise God. Father, for all of these, in the name of Jesus, whatever has happened to this muscle, we just speak your healing to that muscle. Muscle, you receive this right now in Jesus' mighty name. We command this healing to flow. And Father, we thank you. Command all pain to be gone. Any lack of movement or use of that muscle, we believe it's gone healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Brother, what'd you get healed of? Ringing of the ears. Oh, ringing of the ears. Is it already gone? Me too. Oh, you too. The prayer minister got healed of ringing in the ears. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hey, Amen. Was there anybody that had pain or soreness with this muscle, this, this torn muscle? Do you still have any pain? How are you doing? Give me a thumbs up or thumbs down or sideways. How are you? Thumbs up. Have you moved? Have you tried out your muscle yet? Do what you didn't feel like doing. Right now, I believe that the power of God just moved and healed people. And you need to expect some results right now. Thank you, Father. We just agree and we receive it. Somebody here's got a hernia on on your stomach, on the side of your stomach. God's healing you of this. Is this you? You're healed. Father, we agree and in the name of Jesus, we command this hernia to go. Father, I just speak healing to that, command that thing to be repaired now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. And it's done. It's done. You're going to see the manifestation of that. You're healed. That's over in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Man, these are miracles. You can't stop ringing in the ear. I mean, if a doctor could do this, he'd be a millionaire. This is God. This is God touching people. and God healing muscles and hernias and things like that. Father, we just thank you for all of this. Somebody here's dealing with a brain tumor. You were just diagnosed with some kind of a brain tumor and you're dealing with this. Here's the healing power of God. Who in here has a brain tumor? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and identify yourself. God's healing power is flowing towards you. Where are you? I know I got the right meeting. Over here, way over here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that this tumor is gone. We command whatever has caused this brain tumor to leave right now in Jesus' name. Command that tumor to dissolve and to be gone. Satan, loose them and let them go now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we believe that we receive, we believe this thing is over, that it is not doing any damage, that they are healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's somebody here that's got a problem. I don't know how to say this, but it's with your rear end. You just have pain in your rear end. I don't know why. But anyway, that's not an unimportant thing. Amen. You need to be able to function the way God made you to do. Who is this? You may not want to identify yourself, but... God's going to heal your rear end, amen, whatever's wrong. Anybody bold enough to acknowledge this? Here's somebody back here. Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever this problem is, I just speak healing in Jesus' name. Whatever this is, Satan, you loose them and let them go. Father, we release your healing power right now, and I believe that they are healed that this problem is over, gone now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. I believe you are healed in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you and we receive this. And Father, everything else, whatever it is that people are dealing with, we just receive your supernatural power. We believe that your power of the Holy Spirit is present to heal father you want every person healed and so right now whatever it is whatever it is that people are dealing with anything that people are praying for down here father we thank you for the healing power of god manifesting itself in people's bodies we thank you for this healing becoming evident right now in the mighty name of jesus thank you heavenly father I believe all kinds of things are happening. Anybody that has pain in your body, right now, talk to it. Say, pain in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave me and to get out of my body. Somebody here is dealing with vertigo. And right now, the healing power of God is setting you free from vertigo. Who is that? I want you to raise your hand. Wave at me. Here's somebody over here sitting down. You don't have to sit down anymore. You're healed. Amen. Anybody? Here's another one right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just command this vertigo to be gone. Thank you, Father, that their equilibrium is fine. Whatever caused this problem, be gone now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we receive this healing in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Father, I believe that every one of us gets this revelation of Christ in us, that all of your power and anointing lives in us, that we don't have to go get it. We've got it. Father, teach us how to release it. Help, teach us how to walk in this and to allow you the freedom to get out and flow through our mind, flow through our bodies. We just thank you, Father, and we receive this in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Awesome. Well, I'll see you in the morning. Those of you that are in line to get prayer, our prayer ministers are going to be here and continue to pray with you. But the rest of you, we'll see you in the morning. We start at 10 a.m. So God bless you. Good night.